our podcast this week, we're joined by genius writer, novelist, Twitter legend, and English god, Neil Gaiman, plus all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is delighted to report that Helen O'Hara is alive and well. She's finished. She's done a run. Amazing. Uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, brought to you as ever by those mustard peeps at mustard.co.uk. If you want car insurance compared, these guys are the best on the meerkat, the market. Uh, anyway, yes, Helen is alive. She absolutely is. She went off the grid for a little bit, but only because uh, she was running up mountains and whatnot in Nepal. Uh, but she has finished. Uh, she will be back on the podcast next week to tell us the full story. Extraordinary stuff. You can still sponsor her on her Virgin Money page, so take a look at that. Uh, in the meantime, this week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our online editor, a man who would only run up a mountain if that mountain were made out of West Wing box sets. <laughs> it's James Dyer. Hello. That's not true, is it? You actually have run up a mountain, haven't you? I'm, I'm climbing Scaffold Pike, actually. In, I say climbing, I'm walking up Scaffold Pike in a few weeks. What is Scaffold Pike? It's a, like a hill. <laughs> Where is it not to? I, it's it's uh, it's a mountain up north somewhere. Uh, You're going I'm, up north. I'm, yeah, it's terrifying. I'm going beyond the wall. There'll be wildlings. <laughs> I'm taking a go. I'm basically becoming first ranger of the Empire office. It's in the Lake the District. Shield and the shield, the sword, and the darkness. Right. Hmm? It's in the Lake District. It is, yes. Yes, it is. It's one of those scenic and bucolic parts of the country. Yes, I'm going to hike up it. Right. Actually, to be fair, I have I've hiked up or I've hiked near Mount Doom. I, I did the Tongariro. That's what I was alluding to. Yes, I did the Tongariro crossing in New Zealand, um, where you walk. You don't go up Mount Doom. I don't think you're allowed to because I think it's like in a protected reserve or something. But um, you could see it from where I walked, and so I like to pretend I was like a one-man fellowship. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. Did you approach anyone and say, "I can't carry it, but I can't carry you"? That would have been probably put me on some kind of register if I'd done that. <laughs> I don't think that would have been a good idea. But uh, yeah, it was uh, yes. I did not know the way they had my axe, etc., etc. It was good. It was nice. There we go. Uh, you've already heard his voice, but uh, the other colleague of such lethal cunning is, of course, our art house guru, a man who doesn't run up mountains. He drags boats across them. It's Phil Dissemlian. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah? Good? How yeah, how are you? Yeah. What do you mean, yeah? I'm all right. Go do better than that. Yeah. Come on. I'm, now I'm great. Okay, good. I'm, I'm absolutely fine and dandy. It's good to hear, Chris. It's all good. Welcome both. Thanks. Uh, should we have a question? Yeah. So our question this week comes from Twitter. Just put a shout out for questions. And Damien Knight on Twitter responded with a very, very simple one. This probably ties into one of the films we're going to be talking about this week, which is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. What would be your favourite sci-fi planet to live on? So specifically mm. to live, not just to, you know for a mini break? No. To live. Oh. Mm. Mm. Endor mm. looks nice. Technically, it's a moon. Uh, but yeah, let's let it go. Yeah, no, Endor's nice. It's foresty. So it's quite quite green. Clarify something for me here. Uh, it's constantly referred to as the forest moon of Endor, right? Yeah. So is Endor the planet, and Ooh. the moon is an unnamed moon, as our moon is, or is Endor the name of the moon? I believe it's the... You know what? That's a very good point because it's ambiguous. The forest moon of Endor could imply both. This is one of these things where, as someone who has probably studied the hologram in more detail than is socially acceptable, I should know the answer to that, and I don't. I'm going to look it up while you speak. All right. Good, good, good. So, Phil, you'd go and live on Endor? That's, I'd live on Endor. Yeah. Yeah, it looks nice. like Berkshire. <laughs> <laughs> With fewer yeah. waitroses. Yeah. Wait, try. 
Yeah, I know I, that's nice. I would need white dry. I would need to be in touch with some sort of technology. It's always great when you go away for a weekend break and you're you're removed from. I went somewhere the other week. I went to um, give them a quick give this Mission Star restaurant a quick plug. I stayed at the Black Swan at Oldstead, which is Tommy Banks, a brilliant Mission Star chef. I stayed at his uh, his hotel slash restaurant uh, with yes yeah. my wife, and um, it was amazing. But completely in the sticks and had no Wi-Fi had no phone reception for a day and a half and I was I was crawling up the walls I just oh. I just needed to tell people terrible jokes on Twitter and I couldn't mm. uh, and I think being an indoor would be a bit like that you wouldn't be able to nip down the shops or, or pop into H&V or game to look at things that you're never going to buy unlike on which sci-fi planets that you're about to mention um, can, I'm going to jump in here and say the verdict oh. is in Wikipedia says Endor also known as Tana among the Ewok species eh? <laughs> was the cyan gas planet orbited by the forest moon of Endor. So the planet is called Endor and the moon is a forest moon. There so we there go. go. We've cleared it up. We've yeah. cleared it up. Fantastic. But apparently, as a side note, note, the name, inverted commas, Endor, was also sometimes used for the forest moon. So Wikipedia doesn't have a clue. <laughs> so we can, we're fine then. Yeah, we're fine. We, okay, we can thanks. say whatever we like. So we can move there. So oh. it's like calling the moon Earth. You can't do that. No, you shouldn't do yeah. that. You, you shouldn't do that. Whilst we're on semantics, Alex Proyas's Dark City, does that count as a planet? Not that you necessarily I want to live there. It's a so. sort of warish nightmare. I think Crimescape. So. Yeah, it, it is a bit like living in a, in a detective novel. Mm. Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, but then if you... But it'd be a hell of a commute, wouldn't it? Because it's just one big city. Like Coruscant, for example. Okay. Also another city planet. Does Coruscant have any parks? Does it have any green spaces? I mean, most cities have to have a designated park or green, green place <laughs> that Mad Max goes to. Uh, just to, you know try and have some sort of semblance of ecological well-being <laughs> like we're trying to put something back into the atmosphere here it uh, and doesn't also, strike me as a planet signed up to the climate accords I don't it doesn't imagine. I mean it must absolutely stink Coruscant it must, it must have smog levels off the charts it, it's crazy but on the other hand lots of Waitry lots of H&Vs mm-hmm. lots of games yeah uh, not so much Woolworths even Woolworths has, has crashed on, uh, on Coruscant but yeah I'd be excited by that that'd okay. be good Mm. Grab a cheeky Nando's on the way to the uh, Senate. Yeah, yeah. good. Uh, we, we saw Alien last night we did. Uh, on the big screen in mm. 70, glorious 70 millimeter, slightly tinged pink. <laughs> by With a really annoying clicking sound coming from the rear left speaker, which is obviously another feature of the print, which yeah. drove me insane throughout the film. But it was. Did it? it was I lovely. thought there was a. The, the first print had a, had a heartbeat type thing. It was like a boom. Boom, boom, yeah. Every, as the uh, as the, the print was rolling around, I thought it really added to the tension of the film. But we saw we you wouldn't want to live on LV four twenty six, would you? No. I mean, in in either of its forms, it's, it seems pretty inhospitable. It is inhospitable. I quite like the idea of. I mean, you wouldn't like Arrakis, otherwise known as Dune. Um, nice, deserty, probably warm, a uh, little bit arid, lots, mm. lots of worms. Okay. So interesting wildlife. Probably not somewhere you want to live unless mm. you want to become a fremen. I mean, what about Barsoom? Ooh, Basum, otherwise known as Mars. Um, my Jeddak is rusty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to live on Mars because I don't really fancy eating a bunch of spuds that I've grown in my own shit. Yeah, well, that's true. You that, could jump very high. Yeah, I could jump very high, but on the other hand, the, the diet would be a little bit one-dimensional. I mean, we not, could, a, not a big fan of that. No, 
But uh, yeah, I just have to keep going back to uh, Star Wars for this. I mean, there are some beautiful looking planets in Star Wars. Wouldn't want to live in Coruscant necessarily because uh, you know, uh, as I do sometimes, will you know need to go to a green green place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would like Aldran looks lovely. The the few glimpses we get of it in the Star Wars uh, the movies, uh, Naboo. It gets a lot of crap, yes, Naboo, Naboo is but nice. it's a lovely, lovely place. You can ride on the giant inflatable cows. We can, yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, we can roll around the fields and we can go and have some lovely conversations with the Gungans. Yeah, this is this would be a good place to be. Sandar and Guardians looks like a, a nice place. It's technological, but also pretty pretty sweet. Now, in Guardians 2, there's a, a prostitution planet. Uh, so depending on your proclivities, I guess it's the intergalactic Las Vegas. So that's a thing. Yeah, what's it called? Crew. I can't remember. Coaxia or something like that. Yeah, I've forgotten. I should have written this stuff down. Where do they end up in? We need Helen here. It's not the first time we've said that in the last <laughs> series, is it? At Battlestar Galactica. Uh-huh. What's the planet that they that they end up on? It's Earth, it's isn't it? Earth. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> You'll be quite familiar with that. Spoiler. Uh-huh. Uh, yes, they end, they end up on Earth. Yeah, um, it's that in the final episode of the entire series. Okay, so that doesn't count. Uh, no, probably not. Although, Even if, if you we're traveled. going TV, I would say every single holiday anyone ever takes on Star Trek ends up on a planet called Riser, uh, where there are lots of sort of alien pastry models leading you around the place. It's, it seems it's, it's a pleasure planet, uh, and they all go there, everyone. Uh, so that's a thing. Okay. Better than the penal asteroid of Rurapente, unless, <laughs> unless you want to go skiing. So, you know. How are you spelling penal? <laughs> uh, <laughs> any other Star Trek planets? Ooh. Uh, well, Farpoint Station, which is the one from the... Well, it's not a planet, it's a space station, but it's the one where I- anything you desire just materialises. Mm-hmm. So if you say, I really want that uh, Game of Thrones Season 6 steelbook, it would materialise on top of your Blu-ray player. You need to really ratchet up your <laughs> your hopes and dreams. And desire. <laughs> That's the one thing. You'd go to this planet, you'd go, I want a Game of Thrones steelbook. To be fair, it hasn't a Dolby Atmos sound mix. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's is that a um, good jumping-off point for people who haven't seen Game of Thrones? Yes, yes. You just, should definitely just watch it. And drop in Dolby Atmos, Game of Thrones. Yeah. What do you want? Available Phil, now. If you could go to Farpoint, you could have anything you wanted. Would you want Game of Thrones season five? Would you want? What do you want? Inferno Hearts. Game of Thrones season seven, surely. Wow. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Set your sights high. Good. That's then I could come and spoil it for you, James. <laughs> yes, you could. That's a good question. Could you have? Could you have something that hasn't been made yet? Could you go to this planet and go? I want to see Avengers four. And then it would appear. It would appear before you. Could you? Could you do that? Well, yes, because the alien life form that they have enslaved turns your mental wishes into to physical things. But so. then it becomes my version of what Avengers Four is, rather than what Avengers Four would be. Yeah. So it would be me. So it would be you. As, yeah, exactly. That. <laughs> yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> and your Game of Thrones season seven would be you as Tony Stark. It's just the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Just I've heard there's a Stark in Game of Thrones. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's all I know. It's so Tony. I, I'm, mm. I assume it's him. Uh, that'd be a cool place to go to. Uh, well, I've Paradise and Fifth Element oh, that's yes. not necessarily a planet but I really like that version of Earth by the way I know it's crowded in the big Coruscant but I, I, it's just something cool about that um, cooler than the uh, Blade Runner version of Earth but uh, but I, I would like to live I, yeah, honestly I'd like to live in Naboo and I'd like to have a conversation with Jar Jar Binks because he's much maligned is old Jar Jar you go on safari there probably or on try and hunt him down yeah <laughs> it's like Predator but with an inept person at the centre of it <laughs> That would be genius. That would be amazing. I, I, I would pay to see this film. Go to Cybertron. That would be fun. Can we have this conversation without me referencing the oceanic planet of Solaris? <laughs> no, no, we can't. Apparently not. Go on. No. Go on. Um, or I, I'm not sure that's a place you'd necessarily want to spend a lot of time with you. 
mm. where you're visited by manifestations of <laughs> past tragedies on an almost daily basis. Um, it's not Tahiti, but it no, looks nice not. from a distance. It's not. It looks nice. It's sort of, well, oceanic. Well, this kind yeah. of leads into a thing that Helen's, I think, talked about before. She has a thing where all science fiction planets only have one ecosystem. You know, yeah, they're all yeah, one thing. It's much. either a desert planet or an ice planet. It can't just be a planet with variable weather. Oh, that's what I liked about Avatar. I think you get a sense of Avatar that that, that uh, planet, what the hell is it called? Pandora. Pandora, thank you. Uh, would we want to go there? Would you want to live on Pandora? Everything there is trying to kill you. It's the science fiction equivalent of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I don't know if I want to live in Pandora, but it does, I mean, in that James Cameron, within that film, we'll be talking more about Avatar in a few minutes, uh, wanted, you could clearly see that he was trying to show that there are different aspects to that planet. It's, you know, because in London yes. you can go five minutes and suddenly the weather changes and everything changes and the landscape changes and yeah it's, but but Star Wars I mean George Lucas in particular did set out to make this is a desert planet this is an ice planet this is a water planet this is a planet with the big mountains this is a sinkhole planet <laughs> this is a planet where the, the hairy people live you know this is a forest moon and there wasn't much diversity but I, I think that's fine that's okay oh and of course this is the uh, the big city planet I'm happy with that yeah do you know uh, all the planets re- revolve around a sun of some description? They do. Would that not affect their ecosystems? It, it probably would. We're getting technical in ways that we're it's not equipped to deal with. that few people other than Christopher Nolan really think it through to that level. Uh, yeah. Probably not. It's true. Christopher Nolan does, though. Uh, SETI Alpha 5. Yes. This is SETI Alpha 5. Not a good place to be. Not really. Uh, great earworms, though. Mm. Uh, right. Okay, that's it. Thank you for your for your, for your question, Damien Knight. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, uh, we've already got one for next week. Very apt one. But I won't reveal what it is. Uh, but if you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast while Phil drops something into a coffee cup... <laughs> uh, do tweet us. We're at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as well, Empire Magazine. And you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. I think that's where we got next week's question from via email. All very, very exciting. Right. Let's move on and let's talk about uh, movie news. And there's only really one place to start, and that is with the the really, really sad news uh, that broke yesterday that the great director, Jonathan Demme, passed away at the age of just 73. Uh, amazing, amazing director. Phil, you, in- you, you interviewed Demi, didn't you? you uh, I did. I interviewed yeah. him for one of my first ever interviews for Rachel Getting Married, which is a film I think still kind of one of my favourite, one of one of my favourite kind of surprise indies in, in, in my time here. Um, and I was probably, you know, visibly nervous because it was early days oh was it in, in person in person yeah okay. um, he was there with Robin Hitchcock who was uh, partly responsible I think for the soundtrack of that film and I believe it had cameoed in, in another of his movies although I can't remember off the top of my head which one um, and he was John Demi was just a delight to, to, to meet and to talk to um, I thought that film had like he he, he He'd had a sort of reasonably low profile going into that movie, and you know he was doing talking about doing documentaries. He'd obviously had that kind of rich tradition of music docs, and I think he was thinking about going back and doing something um, after that, on maybe Bob Marley, if memory serves. But um, he was an absolute delight, and obviously, conversation inevitably was always going to turn Silence of the Lambs um, with him. I imagine he spent his whole kind of latter part of his career talking about that film um, but I saw it again recently and it's such a great film it really mm-hmm. does stand up um, one of the kind of most 
um, memorable film going experiences in the I don't know if it's still the Odeon Marble Arch um, queuing to see it feeling trepidation and uh, I, he was just a really versatile and brilliant and probably underrated filmmaker cut, mm-hmm. cut his teeth with Roger Corman like a lot of the mm-hmm. greats James Cameron and many others and uh, um, he was just really adaptable he could do all kinds of things uh, Stop Making Sense his Talking Heads concert doc is probably still the high watermark in that kind of arena as it were um, it's been really brilliant mm-hmm. really brilliant work and his kind of creative gelling with David Byrne from Talking Heads is is it was a form of alchemy um, and uh, you know Married to the Mob um, there was very little he couldn't do and aside from that if you look at all of the kind of tributes that have flown in sort of come in on social media over the last 24 hours there's a real affection for him as a man as well clearly mm. people really liked him um, he was a warm generous spirit you could kind of I could tell that in that sort of half an hour I had with him that he was not a man that was kind of burdened with too much ego um, he shrugged off when he talked too much about you know Oscars and things like that that he'd been through with silence but um, a lovely guy and yeah a real shame because I think he had um, felt like we've said this a few times recently but I felt like he had more really impressive films in him um, so for that reason as well as all the others that's really sad news mm. we d- he did a fantastic interview with Empire's Ian Nathan where he talked through pretty much all his major films uh, which ran in September 2015 and we put that up on the website yesterday if anyone wants to check it out yeah fantastic director and you're right incredibly versatile and uh, his love of music clearly such a huge part of his life he would make music documentaries and concert films and work with all sorts of people uh, but I thought he was just a tremendous one of those directors you can't pin down mm-hmm. you know what I mean like he, he just flits around from genre to genre and from subject to sub- matter to subject matter Sounds of Lambs is obviously the big one that's the one everyone's going to gravitate towards and rightly so mm. it's brilliant uh, one of the only films to get the big five Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and Best Screenplay, of course, uh, is a great, great film. Um, notable, of course, for Tony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter, and everything that came after that. Um, but I really love Something Wild. Something Wild is fantastic. Um, if you haven't seen Something Wild, it's a great, blackly comedic thriller that takes a really nasty turn about halfway through when... Really odd. It's a lovely, lovely capricious rom com with Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith, and then suddenly Really Odd turns up as this psycho host beast X, and it just it it turns nasty in a really interesting way, and it's a dark, fun, kinetic ride. Um, and he could just you know he was just a very interesting guy, you know. Um, it's interesting what happened to him after. Silence of the Lambs and he made Philadelphia and obviously Tom Hanks won the Oscar and that was a very very important film as well uh, and it took five years to make Beloved and then he did The Truth About Charlie and I think that, that hurt his career a little bit that, that mm. ill-fitted remake of, of Charade mm. or Charade whatever way you want to say it um, but it was interesting he, he wasn't as prolific as you would want you know you, you would want more Jonathan Demi movies from a very purely selfish viewpoint but the ones he made were were very interesting and I imagine even if you went back and revisited The Truth About Charlie there's probably more in there to, to gnaw upon than, uh, than perhaps it was given credit for at the uh, when it first came out do you think so? maybe Let's I mean I'm just, I'm just yeah. guessing you know it's like yeah. you know, it, it, he seems like one of those directors who would be incapable of making an, an uninteresting film yes you know what I mean even something you know, Ricky and the Flash was seemed like a which was his last film now 
but it, it seems like a throwaway film but there's stuff to, there to chew upon and really fun performances and a really fun soundtrack and I imagine The Truth About Charlie has something as well but but it has to come down to the grey films the grey films are something wild Stop Making Sense Silence of the Lambs and Married to the Mob I think is really really cool as well in Philadelphia all good stuff I think those are those are the ones, but yeah. I would put a you know when we talk about Jonathan Demme, he had a way of like reducing things like all great filmmakers do to the nub of, of of to their essence. You know, people have tweeted that shot from Silence of the Lambs with Jodie Foster in the lift in a grey sweatshirt, surrounded mm-hmm. by men towering above her, which kind of just cut the the kind of the the the, the themes of that film right down to their essence in one in one fell swoop with no dialogue. And uh, I just want to put a shout out to people who haven't seen Rachel Getting Married. That it's a film partly about grief might be a nice one to revisit and that has a scene in it with I think Bill Owen as the dad they have a, a scene in the kitchen where the family's all gathered for this marriage there's a there's a, a ghost in the room and uh, there's a, a dishwasher loading competition which ends in a really heartbreaking kind of expression of grief mm. um, and it's a brilliant scene mm. and uh, very honest and uh, yeah um it's a real shame that he won't be making making more. Absolutely, such a shame indeed. Uh, Seventy three years old, passed away yesterday. The great Jonathan Demi. Uh, and we also mentioned earlier in the show, obviously James Cameron and Avatar. And this broke last week after we went to uh, after we went to Pod. We don't go to press with podcasts. We would go to Pod. Um, that the Avatar sequels are happening. Yeah. And not only are they happening, they've been given they've been given release dates. December eighteenth, twenty twenty for Avatar two. I'm sure these won't be the names. Uh December seventeenth, twenty twenty one for Avatar three. Then there's a three year break. That's interesting. Uh for films that are meant to be shot back to back. I imagine there's a lot of stuff that's gonna go on in between those two. Uh December twentieth, twenty twenty four. And if you wanna know where you're gonna be on December nineteenth, twenty twenty five eight years eight and a half years hence mm-hmm. uh, chances are you're going to be at the well will cinema still exist in eight and a half you'll years you'll be having Who this knows? film beamed into your skull yeah that's where you're, that's where you're going is to be is Avatar 5 being released on Netflix as you said <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing it is It is funny I think it's it's an odd thing to make these co- I mean look they're placeholders aren't they it's not set in stone but um, it's an odd thing to plan that far in advance when, I mean, frankly, looking at the news we make, none of us be here. But um, That's a very good point. It's, yeah. I don't know. Look, I love everything that Cameron's ever done. I think he's an absolute genius and he doesn't make bad movies and he really makes bad decisions. So I'm not one to ever sort of throw shade in his direction. But an Avatar is obviously the, the most profitable film of all time. <laughs> but it's profitable due to a very specific sort of conjunction of events you know what I mean it was a film that came out it was him coming back it was a very specific you know multi-quadrant project but it hit with the resurgence of 3D I mean it caused the resurgence of 3D and I think that is responsible for the, the sort of breadth of its of its box office returns everyone saw this film was like you've got to see this in 3D 3D is amazing 3D is the most exciting new thing even though it wasn't new uh, and now obviously everyone is over 3D I think it's fairly safe to say you know mm-hmm. we'll watch it occasionally it's not necessarily a bad thing some films that are shot in 3D look really good but nobody's thinking that it's changing heart, their lives your heart way. still sinks when you're handed the pair of 3D a little glasses. bit a little bit and you think oh it's going to be a dodgy conversion or, or whatnot. I can't see that particular bit of lightning Phil is literally this road no you can t- <laughs> sorry you can continue talking while I'm thinking it's very about. distracting um I can't see them sort of catching that particular bit of lightning in that same bottle again 
um, from a financial point of view. But more than that, I mean, is there an appetite for an Avatar sequel? Yeah, sure. I think people want to see that. Is there an appetite for four Avatar sequels? Well, I don't know. Well, listen, we I think we talked about this in the podcast probably ad nauseum over the over the yeah. last few years. Uh, you write off James Cameron at your peril. Absolutely. Is there an appetite for an Avatar sequel? Undoubtedly. But this is an Avatar sequel that would be hitting 11 years yeah. after the first one. And the blockbuster landscape has changed hugely in that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Avatar came out, there was only one, two Marvel movies uh, that hadn't hit. Now you can't move without <laughs> bumping into a superhero film. And we'll talk more about some of those that have been announced as well in a few seconds. You can't move without hitting a Star Wars film. You can't move without hitting a, a DC film. The Transformers is trying to do shared universes as well. The blockbuster landscape has changed almost uh, un, in, unrecognizably, I'd say, over the last few years. Does Avatar now feel a little bit quaint? Is it fighting the battle for recognition again? Has it, has it passed out of the public consciousness? That moment when everyone went nuts for it. I mean, completely crazy over it and just loved it and embraced it and felt that it was a transportational film that took them to a different place and made them feel uh, in, in an interesting way, in a new way about their lives. That's, you know, I read so many things about people who wanted to live in Pandora, going back to our opening question. I wanted to be transported to that place and felt that the 3D was so immersive and so great that they were effectively on, on, on Pandora. Can you hit that again? Can he hit it again? I mean, I wouldn't write him off because no. the man's a genius. And I'm sure these films would be great from a, from a visual standpoint. Is there enough story to justify four films? I mean, he thinks there is. The, the number of films has, has swelled over the, over the years. Uh, it was originally like two sequels, then three sequels, and now it's four sequels. I'm fascinated to see where he goes with this because there has been a huge Avatar backlash. Over the over the last few years, to the point now where I feel that it doesn't almost doesn't have any cultural currency. So I'm I'm really intrigued. I wonder what it feels like to be one of the cast members of those films. You know, presumably your contract's got sequels in it, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I imagine they would have thought they would have made the next one by now. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, how I long do they yeah. need to be in New Zealand for? I think there's going to be four films. Australia, isn't there? Shooting in Australia, and they're also shooting in, in Los Angeles as well. I remember speaking to Sigourney Weaver, who said that she might not be going okay. to Australia. So they're yeah. going to be doing bits and pieces back and forth. Mm. But yeah, I mean, right. it, it is interesting. But also, this is uh, this is mocap, so yeah. it doesn't necessarily matter in a way that Zoe Saldana and Sam Worthington and Sigourney Weaver and all those people returning and Stephen Lang are going to be 11 years older mm. than they were when they started shooting it because they're going to be, well, for the most part, I imagine. Stephen Lang was, I don't know what the hell they're going to do with Quaritch but no, neither do I. Uh, they're going to be Navi they're going to be for the most part mocapped but, but right there is an element where this has almost now moved into an entirely animated movie hasn't it because I mean how much live action can you have at this stage well that's the thing I mean is it where they go is the story about will we see Jake Thule as as uh, his human self again I wouldn't think so the, the last movie we ended with him porting over permanently to a yeah. Navi body but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of jiggery-pokery going on that, that stuck him back in a human body at some point it might not even be about them it might be about passing the torch ultimately to, to new generations and whatnot. but you know I, Cameron will have new fist new fisters and new beasts and even mm. you know and the technology is going to be great the effects are going to look fantastic I'm sure it's, but it's not I mean it's still two and a half years away yeah like that's, you said that yeah. World Buster Landscape changed. It's going to change again between now and then. Three and a half. I just don't know how you can plan like this. You know, you, you need... 
I know you see franchises kind of re-revitalize re- after a period of time has passed, but more often than not, you need to maintain the momentum, and I just don't feel like there is any. So they'll be starting cold. But um, equally, the Avatar theme park is opening, which to a certain extent will give it slightly more cultural currency. You don't know. Maybe they'll plan other material, maybe TV stuff in the run-up to it. We don't know quite what their plans are. I think they will need some kind of awareness campaign to make this relevant. Again, Avatar in Day. The, yeah, well, exactly. That. But then bear in mind, like Avatar, they did no marketing for that film right up until release. Like, they dropped so late. Well, like, the, marketing, the marketing for that film almost backfired. Do you remember? People were writing it off and again. Yeah. He was Avatar written, Day was, was not a success. He was written off on Titanic. He was written off in this. Yeah. I, I think ultimately you look at it and he's making the films he wants to make. Mm. And again, going back to this idea, uh, as cinema goers, we have purely selfish desires. Did, you know, post True Lies, 1994, <laughs> if you had said to us that come 2024, which, hang on, let me just do my math. That's, <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> That's 30, 30 years from now. Yeah. 30 years from now, James Cameron, one of the greatest directors on the planet, will have made just six more movies. And one of those will be about a boat. And the other five will be in space by people hugging trees. And he will take eons of time between those movies. I just sit there thinking about all the James Cameron films that we could have had. Yeah. In, in between, all the fun, throwaway, $300 million mm. <laughs> costing <laughs> the, things, the things that he makes in a weekend. That sort of stuff. Mm. I just think about all those movies that, you know... Do you could, think... Let's take a look at what Money on the table, that there will be five Avatar movies. Yes. You really do? Well... well they're making make, them back-to-back, so... I mean, it's, it's... it's Yeah, I think so. Will it be the biggest movie of all time again? I don't know. But I'm not going to sit here and say no, because... I am. That's one way you could... <laughs> Well, I'm prepared to put my put my name to that. It won't. Yeah, <laughs> I see you. <laughs> yeah, I see your box office. We shall see. I don't we know. shall see. I think the fact they're making them back to back doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be five of them. Because you know it doesn't work that way, does it? I mean they 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 can you know it didn't work that way with the Hobbit. They can cut the story accordingly. You know that that is true. It needs true. to. I think it needs you know it's going to be expensive to market it regardless. So. We shall see. Avatar two, three, four, five, maybe coming your way very, very soon. And uh, in terms of release date stuff, uh, also announced last week in the same sort of batch of, of Fox announcements, came news that the X Men franchise is moving ahead. And so we have New Mutants coming out next year. That's going to be the first of three X Men movies to hit next year. New Mutants, April thirteenth, two thousand eighteen. Uh, that's going to be followed by Deadpool two on June first, and then Dark Phoenix, November second. 2018 this is interesting Uh, New Mutants has been in the pipeline for some time uh, from Josh Boone the guy who directed The Fault in Our Stars Uh, and the cast is as we know set to include Maisie Williams Anya Taylor-Joy possibly James McAvoy as uh, Professor X Uh, but you know maybe maybe not who knows Uh, that's an intriguing one Deadpool 2 we all know about Josh Brolin and Ryan Reynolds run around looking at the camera. It's great, isn't it? When you when you do it now, you're doing a movie like that. It just means you can you can mess up as an actor and start looking at the camera and just pretend that you meant it. <laughs> then there's Dark Phoenix. Now Dark Phoenix is the uh, is the wild card here, yeah. Because this is clearly the next proper X Men movie about Jean Grey going kablooey. Um And this has been rumored for a while. And the rumor is that Simon Kimberg, who of course 
co-wrote the last X-Men movie in which Jean Grey went kablooey, X-Men The Last Stand, uh, he may write and direct this one. And he has said he was on our podcast for X-Men Days of Future Past, and he did say that he uh, he feels he has something to atone for. <laughs> but it, that's intriguing, don't you? Do you think? I mean, Apocalypse wasn't well-received, wasn't a terribly no. good film. I, I love the X-Men movies. Apocalypse has shaken my faith somewhat. So I enter this with some trepidation, which I have never really had before. You mean the aim, um, main X-Men movies? Because either side of, of Apocalypse, obviously, with Deadpool, which is very, very yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. And Logan, which is also very good. And, and they share the world, but I don't see them in quite the same light. You know what I mean? I'm thinking mm. from a pure X-Men point of view. Um, but we'll see. Dark Phoenix is a really interesting story. Um, uh, Jean Grey's a great character, and Sophie Turner plays her very well. So. Isn't it too soon? What, Isn't it too she soon? hasn't earned the right to be Dark Phoenix yet. Yeah. Yeah, there's an element of that. There is an element of that. But... You know, let's see what they do with it. Yeah. And where it's going to come, we, we think it's going to come 10 years after Apocalypse, so somewhere in 1992, 1993, mm. which is around about the time, weirdly enough, that Jim Lee's X-Men number one with Chris Claremont hit and sold 8 million copies and everyone went nuts and went, comics are here to stay. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know, it could be the intriguing. ties maybe aren't developed enough to give it the impact that it would otherwise have. Mm. Do you know what I mean like because uh, with Marston and Franklin Hanson, you know, there, there was a, a character bond there that you saw. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't handled well. Don't get me wrong, but well, at least they had earned something. Been killed off screen. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean. Like, at least they had some character sort of like interconnect there. I don't know that we've seen that or really felt that. Yeah, I don't think we've earned it. I, th- I think it's a little bit. If, <laughs> here we are. Every day is Christmas Eve at Empire. Yeah, but. <laughs> I feel that if they go Dark Phoenix in this film, it's a little bit like with Star Trek Into Darkness, where mm-hmm. you didn't earn the emotion of Kirk's quote-unquote, air-quote, death, yeah. and Spock going kablooey himself. You didn't earn that, and I feel that you need another movie with Scott and Gina at the forefront, because I don't know whether Jennifer Lawrence and Michael Fassbender and McAvoy and all this, and Nick Holden are, are going to come back. You'd imagine, for the most part, Probably not. So I think you just need another movie with these guys fighting something else. Phil, you're a massive X Men fan. You love them. <laughs> it feels like you're really like, like. I really like Logan. I conditioned you to just do that. Yeah. I love them. You push my button there. I love it. <laughs> I've been swimming in raw sewage. I love it. I love them, Chris. Let me tell you how much I love this franchise. What's your favourite X Men movie? Um, Blue Man Group. <laughs> Um, No, I like X2. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you what I like. Okay. X2. Yeah. Um, Don't like X3. Okay. Yeah. It's not a film, is it? No. It is a film. It's It's a real film. film. It's a real film. All right. Last Stand is not a good film. Yeah. Okay. I like Days of Future Past. It's good. Yeah. It is good. Um, I didn't like the. I thought the Armageddon one was dreadful. What what was that? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Yeah. Of course, listeners, I know X-Men what these Armageddon. films are called. I'm just playing the fool. Um, no, Apocalypse was, Apocalypse was really bad. Um, first Class, uh, I could pretty much take or leave. Okay. Um, and I thought Logan was terrific. That was my favourite by Miles. There you go. But I didn't feel like it was quite the same as the others. That's great. Um, I haven't seen Wolver- I've seen Wolverine the one where he goes to Tokyo uh-huh. I thought that the was Wolverine. pretty ordinary uh-huh. and um, the one that everybody really hates you haven't seen that one I haven't seen that because okay. everyone really hated it have you seen the first X-Men movie yeah yeah, yeah. it's okay yeah 
It's decent, fine. Yeah. but not. But two's better. Deadpool. What do you think, Deadpool? Um, I really like Deadpool. No, hang on. How do I, I? I really like Deadpool. Uh, when it was Ryan Reynolds doing Deadpool, I thought when they started to do Colossus and all of that nonsense, I wasn't so keen. Join us next week when Phil will be going through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> Come on, we can start if you like. No, we can't. We can, uh, we'll just 15 For the of Dark them. World. There's 15 of them. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Great. Uh, yeah. What's going what on? are we talking about? I've no idea. Okay. Uh, okay we're, X-Men. We're, yeah, we're, in favour, more like Logan, more R-rated X-Men movies with more jeopardy, more stakes, okay, and more more grounded, definitely. And I thought, yeah, we're very much not like Apocalypse, which was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> am I wrong? Am I, am I wrong? Yeah, I'm not wrong. Yeah, you're, you're not, not wrong. wrong. Okay, so speaking of James McAvoy and things he may or may not be connected to, here's one we know he is connected to. Maybe I should have rephrased it differently because that's going to be a spoiler. This is interesting. Okay, so if you don't want to know anything about Split and a potential movie coming up that is connected to it and you haven't seen Split because this has caused a little bit of a of a kickback not a kickback that's the wrong word a little bit of a blowback kickback. on Twitter <laughs> kickback a little bit of a bribe uh, on Twitter cover your ears now for the next three or four minutes because we'll be talking about this okay you gone ears yeah. covered right okay so yesterday M. Night Shyamalan announced with a flurry of tweets his next project his next project is called Glass and it's coming out in 2019, January 2019, around the world. And it is a movie that is making me smile just thinking about it. It is a sequel to Unbreakable. It is a sequel to Split. And it will star Bruce Willis as David Dunn, the hero of Unbreakable. Sam Jackson as Mr. Glass, the villain of Unbreakable. James McAvoy as everybody he played in Split. Um, principally Kevin Wentcrum, the bad guy from Split. And... Um, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy uh, also returning from Split you've just ruined Split for me which I haven't seen have you not <laughs> have you not no I haven't genuinely I genuinely I missed the screening so and I've never when I told people it. to cover their ears in case they didn't yeah, want well, I didn't see what I could do like, I haven't seen it either My ears you've are ruined it for both of us with headphones I, I haven't ruined anything yeah. you've had three months to see this film three I know, months I know okay. the fault is mine it, but this is an interesting thing because uh, people are angry about this announcement I know some people who are, who are a little bit annoyed because they wanted to see Split and they were waiting for the DVD and Blu-ray to come out, I think, next month. Yeah. And now they're saying, what's the point? Well, the point is you're missing an, an incredibly fun performance from James McAvoy if you don't. And in my opinion, it's, it's Shyamalan's best movie in, in years. It's flawed as hell, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of fun. I think, um, wait, my, but they're not saying that they don't want to watch it. They're saying that they just them, didn't some, want to know that it's... No, a, some of them are saying they don't want to watch it now. But some oh, people, they don't want to watch people, it now. Some people are angry with oh. M. Night Shyamalan for announcing that he's making a sequel to uh, Split, which tells people that James McAvoy and Anya Taylor-Joy survived that film because they think it might deprive their first time viewing of some tension. And they're yes, also a little no, bit angry that. knowing that yeah. there's a link to He doesn't have, like, the master of suspenses knacker promoting things. <laughs> so he, let's be honest. I mean, you can't ruin the film before the DVDs come out. That has to be a rule of thumb for any 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 does director. Sure yes, a little bit. Yes, it yeah. really does. I'm, yes. not saying no. that, I'm not saying spoilers of the five-second rule. It's not like, no, not like that. No, it but, really does. On. No, I'm sorry, but a director shouldn't do that. Not everyone does. And you don't need to yeah. do it either. I mean, he's sending some... I mean, I really like him he's a cool guy and he's I'm glad he's doing well again after some stinkers but I mean come well, on I'm his tweet about I'm writing a script so terrifying I've had to step away from it 
<laughs> what is going? Is that a film about an animated, reanimated sort of devil script? No, this is this is true. I know several writers who've done this. Several writers, really? Yeah, Shane Did Black. They... Shane Black once told me he was writing a horror mm-hmm. script that was so scary that he had to he had to write it during the day in the in the light because otherwise it was he was freaking himself out so much. I know other writers who've had that experience as well. As a writer, you have to write stuff that either makes you laugh, make moves you, or scares you. I'm absolutely right. I've and written I, features that reading them back. Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff I write, I have to step away from, but for different reasons. I will defend yeah. to, to the sorry. to the slight wounding. Yeah, I wouldn't put that on Twitter. I really wouldn't put it on Twitter. A director's right to announce his next movie three months after the previous movie has come out. I will say that my irritation at having Split ruined for me pales in comparison to the sheer joy at knowing there will be a sequel to Unbreakable, which is by far and away the best film he's ever made. Precisely. There we go, Mr. Glass Half Empty. Who knew it <laughs> hey, would be James? Hey. Would, would <laughs> they call me Mr. Glass. How full. It's, yeah. uh, it's, uh, Unbreakable is a fantastic, fantastic film. Mm. Uh, people have been asking about a sequel to it for ages. It did, it did pretty well at the box office. It didn't do well critically at the time. I think there's been a massive reappraisal yeah. of Unbreakable. I think it's as close to Masterpiece as Genius. you're going to get uh, in the Shyamalan uh, uh, And I think... <laughs> uh, uh, and... Uh, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's a top tier uh, superhero movie. It is a top tier superhero mm-hmm. movie as well, uh, with interesting things to say about uh, comic books and superheroism and mythology and all that sort uh-huh. of stuff. Uh, it's a great film, and Bruce Willis is f- and and Sam Jackson are great in it. And I'm really intrigued to see yeah. how these characters and these worlds marry. You have David Dunn, indestructible, impervious to. <laughs> he's like, he just reminds me of a scene from Naked Gun, impervious to everything but water. <laughs> 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 it's true, it's true. Yeah. He's a, he has the same weakness as the aliens in science yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just throw a glass Driving of water in his face and he's, you know, he's in trouble uh, you have uh, Sam Jackson as the mastermind with the, with the obviously the brittle bones um, and then James McAvoy but but he becomes at the end of Split is very interesting as well. Mm. So you go go and see Split. Go and see it. It's it's a lot of fun. It's not out anymore, Chris. It's just insensitive. You're just compounding things. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I, I, yeah. I, like James, I think, we're keen to see the film even now you've ruined it. Um, and I'm excited by this news. I'm just saying that I you can announce a film without necessarily letting your excitement about how clever you are get... What, what, get, what, get, what would you recommend he do? I just say announce the film and then at a later date... When people had a chance he to see it, announced it as a sequel to Unbreakable and left the fact that it was all bad. But then yes. everyone would be going. Everyone who'd seen Split would be going. Okay, so is James McAvoy going to be in it? Because that's pretty heavily hinted at the end of the last one. And he neither confirms nor denies until a point down the line when marketing prescribes that he does. Okay. Colin Firth is in Kingsman Two. Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. As we know from the trailer. The trailer broke this week. week. Yes. That's all I had to say. Let's all had to stay on the matter. Yes, he is. He was dead, but he got better. <laughs> he did, and lost an eye. He's lost an eye. He's lost an eye. Um, we should talk about something that's going to affect everything in this podcast. Colin Firth being in Kingsman too. Us moving offices. No, we're moving offices, but that's not it. Offices. The writers' strike. The writers' strike. Yes, it's looking likely. It's looking very likely. Uh, uh, last time there was a writers' strike, Quantum of Solace happened, <laughs> so, and, and many crossed. other things. I mean, the fallout yeah. from that was enormous, yeah. and it will be again. 
The writer's strike is uh, is a, a scary thing. It's a thing that uh, it is possibly happening. The the WGA want uh, more money from the studios and the producers guild. Uh, is my understanding uh, in terms of their deals, they they don't feel they're being uh, compensated well enough for their efforts, and uh, it is very very true. A lot of writers don't make a lot of money, and they don't get a lot of income and uh, so the Writers Guild is there to protect these people with residual payments and uh, insurance and health insurance and all this sort of stuff this is in the States of course um, so it looks like the, the WGA is voting overwhelmingly to go with the strike and the only people who can afford it is the studios if they decide to up their offer to the writers for the next few years uh, contractually then that could uh, afford a strike which I think could be disastrous the last writer strike went on for a period of months mm. And in that time, you have a number of films uh, that were absolutely adversely affected by it. Quantum of Solace is one that, you know, they've been very public about it. Uh, Mark Foster and Daniel Craig have been very public about it. Because what, what a writer's strike means is, is literally that. If you don't know what it means, anyone affiliated with the Writers Guild of America cannot in any way write anything for any medium. Uh, while the writer's strike is under... Is, is, not even is, a birthday card. Not, maybe a birthday card. card as or long as they're not being paid. If people write checks, precisely. Uh, and in that time, they obviously don't get paid either. So it's a, it's a tricky one for the writers as well. Uh, and, and what happens as well, it's like they'll rush out scripts to get them finished because they need yep. to be done, but it means you can have no shooting revisions You know while nope. you're doing it. It doesn't just affect films, TV series. I mean, last time, the impact on TV was enormous last mm-hmm. time around. Like uh, It was um, Hero Season 2 was completely destroyed by it, as were a number of other things. Lost series were cut short, seasons were skipped, episodes were terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically the apocalypse for entertainment. Uh, didn't uh, Stephen Colbert and John Stewart and I think yep. some, some talk show hosts struck a deal to because they need writers every day to write the material and their monologues. Uh, some of them didn't, I guess. But yeah, it, it's, it's certainly interesting. And it led to a situation, for example, on the first Star Trek 2009. I read an interview, um, an old interview with uh, Kurtzman and Orsi last week where they were saying that they were producers on Star Trek and they would come into scenes on set and they weren't entirely 100% there. And as writers, normally they would go, all right, okay, fixed. But they couldn't. And so they had to, as producers, kind of go well there's nothing we can do about this and just hope that the uh, the actors would somehow come up with the goods themselves can they not call an audible what well if you're not actually writing could you not say maybe reword that say, say like do like a charades thing well, so like, yeah. first word sounds like but that's the thing I don't think they can I don't think they, I don't think they can even go well I mean if if I were to be writing this scene which of course I'm not legally and contractually <laughs> I would probably have Kirk say something like this wouldn't you Chris Pine it was Chris Pine's idea to say that line. I, you know, it's, it's tough. Can you have a loud conversation with your co-writer, which broadly echoes the themes of what's happening in the scene? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Apparently uh, not. No, they're, they're quite hardline about it. Yeah. They are quite hardline. So I'm, I'm, I'm concerned, I have to say, because again, we're talking about how the landscape of blockbusters has changed over the yeah. years, and now there are so many more. Yeah. And you have, I mean, just off the top of my head, Infinity War, in well, if they call it that, Avengers 3 in production right now. What's going to happen there? I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting. You have what, what else is being filmed right now? Huge, huge movies. Star Wars Nine is is heading to production Which now soon-ish. Has a date. 
Has a date, yes. Yes, which is uh, May 24th, 2019. Absolutely. Until it slips back, which it will. <laughs> you know, Han Solo is in production right now. We have uh, Jurassic World 2 in production right now. We have lots of, you know, uh, lots of DC movies about to head in production. But what's going to happen to these films? It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's very interesting. But from a, an ethical and moral standpoint, it is absolutely the right thing to do, uh, in my opinion. So, uh, more power. More power to the people. I feel like uh, I feel like Robert Lindsay and <laughs> Citizen Smith, but um, yeah, more power to them. Wow. But I also hope it doesn't happen. Yes, so do I. Just for the sake of my own personal entertainment. So, um, in other things that probably won't be made, um, <laughs> Michael Mann is uh, is intriguing uh, television project. Um, is that what's called? Intriguing, it's called that. intriguing television project. <laughs> uh, subhead. Uh, Vietnam War edition um, it's based on a book by Mark Bowden who wrote Black Hawk Down and it's called Hue 1968 set during the Tet Offensive uh, in Vietnam and it's a sort of a I think an eight part um, potentially eight part sort of hour long TV m- mini series set from multiple perspectives during this battle the battle depicted in Full Metal Jacket the end mm-hmm. of Full Metal Jacket and um Set from I think both sides of the of the of the com- of the combat and uh, um, he is I guess looking to shepherd that to the screen. It could be kind of a, a band of brothers type scenario, uh, mm. which I think is pretty exciting. Yeah, personally, that's great. Um, interested in in what Michael Mann would do with that material. He's directing the Ferrari film, isn't he, Michael Mann? So he is. It's not like a case where he can get movies made. I uh, hope we're not in the situation where he, Michael Mann can't get yeah. movies made. Uh, oh God, no! I hope not. I hope not. I mean, I don't think he find, he's finding that easy. I liked Black Hat. I did. I'm the one. I'm the one who liked it. <laughs> You're the guy. I'm the guy. Oh, You're that guy. Bless you. Bless you. Um, and in a sort of similar uh, kind of director, status-wise, David Fincher and Brad Pitt. Yes. Interestingly, World War Z. Interestingly, thank you, thank you. World War Z. World War Z. Yes. World War Z. 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 We're not Americans. So there's no Z's in England. Precisely. They, I mean, who'd have thought that this film would A, be made, and B, attract David Fincher? <laughs> no, I didn't mean that glibly. I mean, we just didn't, didn't think there would be another one. I yeah. mean, well, you mentioned Mark Forster. Um, well, doesn't terrible time. Mm. Yeah, and then and the, it would appeal to, to David Fincher. <laughs> it feels to me like the one was gone. Well, we had such a terrible time making the last one. That's wait until there's a writer's strike, guys, and then we'll, we'll really cripple ourselves this time. That's really hamstring ourselves. Let's go for it. Um, <laughs> let's make it really challenging, shall we? Uh, I'm very excited about this. This was mooted a few months ago, actually, and everyone poo-pooed it. I poo-pooed it. I mean, why would David Fincher waste time with a bunch of fast zombies? But maybe he likes them, and he obviously he works very well with uh, uh, William Bradley Pitt, so why not? Why not? I'm going to poo-poo your poo-pooing in the, <laughs> in the style of Fry and Laurie. Uh, Jim Giannopoulos, the new head of Paramount, this looks like it's his first his first uh, kind of move. I was going to say strike, but it's probably not the right word to use. Um, he's got a good relationship with David Fincher, so I guess he's, he's lured him in. I think this could be awesome. I really like the first film. I like the first and film. And yeah. the book gave lots of different interesting directions that the second film could go in. So, actually, fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon. Uh, see what happens with that. And some more stuff to race through very, very quickly. Uh, looks like a movie that's been... I remember reading about this movie in Empire Magazine. It feels like an eternity ago. A Gemini Man. Yes. Do you remember? This is like one of the hottest... It was one of the hottest scripts in Hollywood when it first debuted. I think it was written back then by Jonathan Hensley, who uh, wrote Die Hard with a Vengeance, and the the Thomas Jane version of The Punisher, he directed that as well. Um, married to Gellan Hurt. 
There's a bit of trivia for you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it is about a hitman, an older hitman, who finds himself in the fight of his life against a younger version of himself. They clone a younger version of himself and they send him into action. And, you know, it's about can this guy's experience and chutzpah overcome this younger fella's moxie and and athleticism um, and Moxie been, and Hutzpah sound like a great double act They do don't they probably yeah. even the same thing who knows anyway, but, uh, and so it's been linked with uh, lots of A-listers have been linked with it over the years Harrison Ford and Mel Gibson back in the days when Mel Gibson was an A-lister and uh, it's uh, never quite got to the, the starting line because they weren't sure about the, the technology but as anyone who's been to see a Marvel movie recently. Uh, if you're going to see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, it's not a spoiler to say it. it begins with a really freakishly accurate uh, younger Kurt Russell <laughs> in the opening scene. We see a 1980, circa 1980 Kurt Russell, and it is, I mean, it's like they went back in time pretty and shot him. Uh, so the technology is there now. You could do this. And Will Smith is the person who is this to play both roles. Yeah. Which he may or may not take if For he decides potentially. To. Yeah. Ang Lee. Ang, that's the other thing. Ang, Ang Lee. Lee. I just... I, what? I mean, that's a strange... Well, Jonathan Demme is a director you can't pin down. No, you Ang can't Lee pin down Ang Lee. No, is, you, you can't. You can't. You can, he won't let you. I tried just the end of last year. <laughs> Slipped he, away. You can get him in a headlock. Yeah, no. But he's just... You he can't. He digs his elbows in and yeah. off he goes. You chain him to something. Yeah, up the walls. Over your shapeshifter. Head. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very excited. And Jerry Bruckheimer producing. That's that's like the holy trinity, isn't it? Will Smith, Jerry Bruckheimer and Ang Lee. About the heady days of sort of Don Simpson excess. <laughs> Ang Lee, just get him out. Where is he? He's in his trailer with but like... This sounds like a proper Jerry Bruckheimer movie because he has been farting around with Pirates movies <laughs> and family-friendly franchises for too damn long. Mm. And it's about time we had something that was balls out and mindlessly stupid and I think that uh, that this could be the absolute ticket we need someone to direct something balls out and mindlessly stupid who have you got for me <laughs> Ang Lee you're fired <laughs> 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 okay could be good though looks interesting yeah could be good Things, and, and of course Will Smith also potentially playing the genie well apparently In, he will only do one or other one or, one or t'other one or other okay do Gemini man do Gemini man if you're listening well he is listening. Of, he course is listening. listening. of course he's listening. Why wouldn't he be listening? Um, Did you mean talk about Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic World 2? He's going to be in Jurassic World 2. Next. <laughs> is it not, uh, not just on the cover of a book. So you're talking about Joe Johnson directing Narnia, The Silver Chair? I, th- that's it, something I didn't see coming. It just, it just felt like that. That's, I thought that was a franchise that they sort of quietly ushered off into retirement. They'd gone to live on a farm. Well, Somewhere. we thought World War Z had well, been ushered off into retirement. We thought Avatar had been ushered I off mean, into retirement. Next thing, you'll find like the subtle knife goes into production. You know, it's like the Golden Compass sequel. Suddenly, it's back for the dead. It took down one studio. It's coming for the rest. Yeah, no, I think that one's... Or like uh, He-Man <laughs> being rebooted. Well, yeah, exactly. Oh, wait a oh, minute. No, it is. <laughs> He-Man has been rebooted. Yeah, this <laughs> news just in. Quite terrifying. Uh, um, He-Man is set for December 2019. Yeah, it's actually happening. So that's why Star Wars has, has moved. It's moved to get out of the way of He Man, the master of the universe. Yeah. Um, also, there was the 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 Zoe Saldana may have, but then probably didn't reveal the title of the second Infinity War movie mm-hmm. when she said in her quote on the red carpet at the premiere, "Oh, then we're going back to shoot Gauntlet," to which everyone thought, "Oh, it's going to be called 
the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And then James Gunn said, in, if I'm honest with you, a not entirely convincing quote. <laughs> <laughs> no, that isn't it. What's that behind you? I'm going. Bye. Um, that and was he, That was pretty much his quote. He, he denied that's what it was called, but it, it didn't... It wasn't the most convincing guy. Well, because there was a quote from Kevin Feige last week saying that the title of Avengers 4 mm. um, will be a spoiler for something that happens in Avengers 3. I don't think Avengers Infinity Gauntlet is a spoiler for something that happens in 3. Avengers Tony Stark's head has fallen off is a spoiler. See, no, we talked about this and I think it does. I think it if those, if it's Infinity War, then Infinity Gauntlet, which, fact fans, is a, an inversion of the way the comics work because it's the four-part Infinity Gauntlet comic leads into the Infinity War series. So mm-hmm. there you go. Uh, that implies that there's a fight for the stones in war and then he assembles the Infinity Gauntlet in Gauntlet. So that gives you an idea of the arc of the story, uh, if that is indeed the case. But his exact quote, this is Gunn's exact quote, it's not the title. My guess is that Zoe just misspoke. I'll talk to Zoe today, but I would imagine it's just Zoe misspeaking and saying Infinity Gauntlet instead of Infinity War. I mean, doing his best Sean Spicer right there. Um, I don't believe a word of it. I'll be having a word with Zoe today. <laughs> yeah. But Stop anyway, talking. interesting, Stop talking about interesting stuff. Um, you know. And what else we got? Uh, someone was talking about there's uh, p- potential rumoured possibilities, Fast and Furious, uh, Hobbs Shaw spin-off. Yes, that's right. Which is an interesting one, an interesting direction. Obviously, given that uh, Vin Diesel and The Rock uh, are not the best of chums post-Fast 8. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, that's an interesting direction. Although, as someone's pointed out, that Statham is so good in that as Shaw. And if you're going to do anything else with him, it, it can only be with Hobbs, because he killed Han. So... Allegedly. You, you you see him do it. Um, Never see a body. Han did not shoot first. There is um, the scuttlebutt that Han may return for 9 and 10. Well, then that would kind of diffuse the situation. But because he did that and because they are family, you can't see a situation where long-term that team is going to work with Shaw. Can you really? I think they're very forgetful people. <laughs> no learning, no hugging. Captain Deckard Shaw has, <laughs> has proven time and time again his heroism in the field of combat. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, this is a film. I mean, given that the Hobbs and Shaw weren't by far and away the best things in Fast Day, I, this is a film I would watch. I'd also watch Kurt Russell gay crashing as Mr. Nobody just coming in and laughing. That's what he seems to do in Fast Eight. He yeah. just comes in, <laughs> cackles, laughs at them, and then leaves. As long as he leaves little nobody at home, I think that's fine. I beg your pardon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, time uh, now for the. There's one last thing I'm going to say. Bloody hell. One last thing. There's the like. We've done a lot of news today. There's a lot um, of news. There is. Uh, the X Files is coming back this year for another 10 episodes. Make of that what you will, good or bad, fair or ill, it will return. This is how much news we've had this week that that would normally provoke at least five minutes of discussion. Yeah, and that's it. And that's it. That's all we're saying. The X Files is coming back. Yeah. You didn't like the last one. It was not the X Files at its best. Well, maybe this will be. It's doubtful. But yes, it might be. Two more bits of news before we move on to this week's guest. And as if by magic, Johnny Pyle has appeared to tell us about at least one of these bits of news. Johnny. Hello, Chris. How are you, man? I'm very well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. What are you here to talk about? Uh, I'm here to, well, I'm here to talk about uh, the new issue. Have you talked about that already in, we, we uh, about in it general last week. terms? Yeah, yeah, last week, yeah. Uh, but we have a new, new issue. What? Um, yeah, we have a limited edition virtual reality issue, which is uh, out in stores now. But only one store, in fact. It's out in Sainsbury's stores now. And only selected Sainsbury's stores at that. You can check online which ones they are. Uh, but yeah, it's very exciting. It's... Um, you get the the normal issue as um, as a standard, and then you get a, a VR cardboard headset for you to slot your phone into. And there are two um, amazing experiences. The cover says, uh, which you can unlock. 
Uh, one is an immersive trip inside the alien universe, which I won't spoil, uh-huh. uh, but it's um, alien as you've never seen it before. Uh, and certainly as you've never experienced it before because you are existing in this world and then we have a, a special deleted scene uh, from the movie which uh, is only available again through uh, through the, uh, if you get this issue this is huge it's uh, it's a wonderful thing actually and it's in this beautiful bag with a special uh, cover which looks uh, well frankly terrifying big alien head on it oh that's an alien I thought it was James I always get confused. It's uncanny. Turn uncanny. to the side, James. There you go. How's that? Make your other mouth appear from inside your mouth. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, that, that's great. How much do you have to pay for this? In uh, It's not all good Newville News Agents. It's, it's one good supermarket. One good supermarket. You have to pay uh, six ninety nine. he says, checking quickly. Six ninety nine. That's a bargain at four times the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so... If you have the uh, initial issue, then it's just a mere pounds and penny, mere a pound and a penny and some pennies. Yeah, it's, it's more it's, expensive. It's 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 it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. And uh, have you tried this yet? Have you tried the, the VR thing? Have yes, you, have indeed. You, have, you, have, you, have you not tried it? Have you? I'm, I'm terrified of things. I guess I tried VR around James's house, <laughs> and it's not good. I mean, I, it scares the crap out of me. It was and that was a, that was a football game. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, know, I don't know what it's going to be like with aliens coming at me. Uh, we watched Nick Disembly and fighting a shark. In VR, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, this is this is more terrifying by far. I would right. say. Okay. Uh, it's it's quite freakish. Okay. Cool. I'm excited. It's yeah, good. and you can also get it online if you can't get to a Sainsbury's or your Sainsbury's is not stocking it. It's uh, James is the online guy, so he's going to tell you the exact URL now. He's really not. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the site, but we don't have a special one. It'd be far too long to read out. Something like Great Magazines, right? It's on the Great Magazines website. It is, but it's you can you can yeah. You'll find it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I mean, yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a lot of fun. You're gonna buy one, fun. Chris? I uh, know because I've got one on my desk. And uh, uh, listen, if you can get one, I'm prepared to take offers for it. Uh, so get in touch with me on uh, on the on the Twitter. Just DM me with with just DM me with a number. Like starting with three figures, it's great. You can put the decimal point wherever you want, and it's fine. It's totally fine. Is this ethical? This is ethical, right? I think it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Totally yeah. fine. Not a fireable offence at all. Not nothing. It's good, right? You're good. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, so all very very exciting. The uh, VR cover is on sale right now. But listen, probably not for long. Probably not. We've done special issues like this before. Uh, yeah. Fantastic Beasts. We had the video cover, and that went like that. Within three days, it was gone. That the was Kylo it. Ren action figure, like that. Yep. So. Get a move on. In fact, it may be sold out by the time we're even this is released. So I have done. Buy it now. Invest in your eBay future. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and it's sold out, get a time machine. That's our next one, right? Uh, I couldn't time possibly say, cover. but yeah. uh, stop blowing it. All right. Um, and there's something else to talk about, isn't there, Jimbo? Uh, yes, there is. We have. We don't do this very often. We haven't done it for several years. Uh, we have once again opened the polls for Empire's greatest movies ever. Uh, National Treasure! <laughs> Vote now! Which is going to... It's a spoiler. It's going to be National Treasure. Uh, but on the on the, on the the slight <laughs> chance that it isn't, <laughs> the polls are now open. We are searching for your for you to cast your votes for the greatest films of all time. We want your top ten films. They will be lovingly curated by our, our team. National Treasure. Uh, so National Treasure and National Treasure 2... Um, and then they have to go to make the other eight yeah in the next month yeah um, it is you can find it at empireonline.com slash movies oh he has that URL slash uh, best dash movies his new story has the URL for 
Sorry, give me that URL again. That's, it's not, that was really... it's not the most... It was quite it, inelegant. It doesn't roll off the tongue. It's emperorline.com slash movies slash features slash best dash movies. Or just go to the website and click on the features channel and you'll find it. Is that a forward slash or a backslash? Or what is it? Is it a... Philly boots. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Very, very exciting. Yeah. 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 Do, do not vote for Transformers this time, people. No. Okay. If you want to vote for nuns on the run, you shouldn't feel you have to, but I encourage it. What's your number one? What are you, what are you Always aliens. Always aliens. What are you voting for, Johnny? National um, treasure, love aside. Uh, I've, uh, I've uh, cast my votes for Field of Dreams. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, Stand by me. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to vote tactically. Because I know that people will vote for the Star Wars of this world. So I, they don't need my help. But Field of Dreams does. It always gets overlooked in polls like this. It should be always higher than it is. Wherever it ends up, it should be one higher, at least. Fair enough. If you build it, he will vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tough one with these because you don't want to vote for obscure movies that you would normally love because they're just not going to get on the list. And also, they? Phil yeah. would do that. Yeah, this is true. The Tree of Wooden Clogs making another appearance. <laughs> it's a very tactical thing. It's very tactical. Yeah, you got you got to you got to think about this stuff. It's all very very exciting. So look out for a future issue of Vampire as well, where we'll be discussing the results of the poll. Indeed. Mm. And maybe who knows a future podcast. Can we say one thing as well? Yeah. Can we say that Godfather and Godfather Two are two separate films? Yes, actually, that is a very good point. Don't, please, please don't vote for the Star Wars series or Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is not a film. Well, actually, it is, but it's an animated film from many, many years ago. Um, uh, individual installments, Godfather Part 1, Two Towers, Return of the Jedi, individual films, please. Otherwise, your vote will be null and void. Okay, there you go. I think we got it. Uh, thank you very much indeed, Johnny. Oh, you're very welcome. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Uh, time now for this week's guest. He is a genius writer behind the likes of uh, comic books like Sandman and novels like Nancy Boys and Good Omens and, of course, American Gods, which is now a major TV series uh, which starts this Sunday on Amazon Prime. It is the legendary Neil Gaiman, Neil himself. And uh, before Helen O'Hara ran up a big hill in Nepal, we sent her to have a nice chat with the man himself. Enjoy. Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Neil Gaiman. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, you're very welcome indeed. So, uh, American Gods coming up. Um, this has been in development for a very long time. Did, were there times when you thought it might not get to this point? You know, I have, have this uh, remarkably sort of sanguine attitude to adaptations, which is normally they will happen at the right time. Mm. And... Um, Things like the Caroline movie, where I, I sold the rights to, you know, Henry Selick to do a Caroline book um, before the book was a year before it was published. Wow. And it quietly took 10 years until the Caroline movie came out. Wow. Um, it, it teaches you patience, but also there was that point where it came out at the right time. Mm. And it was the right film, and it couldn't have been that film if it had been made earlier. Yeah. With American Gods. Um, when I, when I wrote the book, um, I wrote it because I'd been doing a bunch of Hollywood screenplays the previous few years and was just tired of Hollywood film shaped stories. Mm. I was tired of 120 page stories <laughs> with beginnings, middles and ends. And, and I want, I'm like, no, I'm, I've been doing this now for two, three years. I'm really bored of this, mm. and I'm going to go and write something 
complicated and all over the place and a giant rambling road trip. <laughs> and if I want to put short stories in there, I can and, and so on and so forth. And did that and then learned very rapidly that that meant that it was unfilmable because we, I would get famous directors phoning up and saying, I want to make it into a film. I just have no idea how. And I'm like, listen, if I'd, if I'd known how, I wouldn't have written that book. The whole point of the book was it wasn't a film. So from my perspective, American Gods was not something um, that I thought was ever filmable. Mm. And it hadn't really even occurred to me that it was could be television. Mm. Um, because at the time that it was made, it nobody was making giant TV things. Uh, there was no network that could have made... Um, uh, you know, something with the amount of, of nudity and swearing mm. and, and violence that American Gods has. Um, and all of them, I like to think, completely justified, even the swearing. But but, <laughs> um, but they were an integral part of what I was doing. There's yeah. weird sex in there. There's all sorts of cool shit. And, um, and then things started changing. And I was just fascinated by watching the way that things were starting to change. Mm. And um, there was a very interesting year when um, the people from Fremantle and I went around talking to some of the various entities that were doing television. Mm. And things were changing, and you could tell that things were changing. And finally, we went, you know, stars seems like a really good place to do it in America. And then we were all overjoyed once it started existing when Amazon Prime Video just swept in and said, we will take the rest yeah. of the world. You do not have to go out and sell it territory by territory. We will take it. And it's like, oh, okay. Oh, and hooray for that, frankly, because it makes it much easier for us to watch here. Um but I mean, what were the, what were the biggest surprises once you got going? Because it seems to me that you know, um, Brian Fuller. I mean, obviously Hannibal is one of the most stylish, weird, brilliant, surprising shows on TV, and and and, and it feels like some of that flavor is probably right for American Gods. Obviously, not all of it, but there's well, the, a little what, bit. What of I that. love is that you know Brian has done a lot of things, mm. and I don't actually look at. Hannibal and see a lot of Hannibal flavor in right. American Gods. Hannibal is it's very much its own thing. It's kind of cold. Yeah, It's very, very beautiful, but in a distant kind of way in which the most appalling bloodshed, the most monstrous things, the darkest human beings, that they're almost moving around in this kind of peculiar erotic dance um, in which everything is beautiful, mm. but very, very chilly. Yeah. And... American Gods is this sort of hot, warm immediacy. It's everything's dirty. Mm. Everything's got edges to it. Everything's funny. I mean, there is a there is a the humor is dark, mm. but but by God, it's in there at all times. It definitely is. We we just watched. Uh for the benefit of those listening, we just watched the scene in a bar with a character called Mad Sweeney, who's very close to my heart. My mother is a Sweeney. She's not mad, as far as I know. Um, but uh, but there is there there is definitely some some blood and guts here as well as you know as well as gods. 
There is. And, um, and I mean, I think that for me, in terms of what I took from Hannibal and Brian, was just Brian's commitment to go for whatever was necessary right. to make the right thing. Yeah. And I, so with, with American Gods, it would be, it would be safe to say that even in the first eight episodes, which is the first season, mm -hmm. there are sequences which had widely been thought to be unfilmable, <laughs> uh, where Brian's attitude was, no, we just do it as written. And then... <laughs> He wrote the script. I'm going, well, this is just what I wrote. And he's mm. like, yeah. And then they shot it. And I'm going, you shot that thing that I wrote that was unfilmable. They're like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm not going to give away any spoilers here, but I feel like the character Bilquis might be involved and in one of those. That definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Yatida, who is an amazing actress, and they, they pull off that scene and you go, I can't believe that I, I just saw what I just saw. <laughs> I mean, speaking of spoilers, for anybody who hasn't read the book, should they start now? Should they be getting after this right now before it starts? There are, there are two answers and they're both true. Mm. Speaking, obviously, as the author of the book, yes, you should go <laughs> out and you should buy a copy of the book. Um, uh, truthfully, I don't know. Um, uh, we, we've tried to craft it in a way where if you are somebody who loves the book, you will enjoy this journey because mm. lots of the things that you love are going to come along. Um, but we're also planning to surprise you. Yeah, You have an advantage over people who have not read the book, but you do not have necessarily the advantage in everything that you may think you have mm. because we are going to go... Though we will hit all of the high points on the way, Yeah, we'll go to some other places. And also because one of the great things about the book is one thing that became very obvious to us early on is, um, and that I, you know, I remember suggesting to Brian and what they did was better than anything I could have hoped, was, um, for example, Laura, mm -hmm. Shadow's wife, who is dead, um, pretty much as the story begins, and then in a variety of peculiar ways sort of comes back into the story. Um, in the novel, you only see her really coming back into the story from Shadow's point of view. Yeah. Um, you have no idea what's happening when she's not on the page. And what's incredibly fun is, you know, episode four is Laura's story. Awesome. And it starts the week before she met Shadow. And it covers the four years that they were together. And it covers what happened when he was in prison. And it you, you get it covers her death. And it covers everything that happened after her death. And it's like, and now she's a player mm. in the story. And we're, we, we follow her just as we follow Shadow and Wednesday, just as we follow various other characters. Mm. So there's a sort of a, a joy where we, we have a lot of characters who get to come on stage. And some of them come on stage much earlier than they do in the book because we're going to be following them for yeah. longer. What about, I mean, there, there are famous bits of the book that are um, sort of unanswered and you've very deliberately left them unanswered, the, the, the sort of the unknown god in grey in, in Las Vegas. Are you planning to, you know, 
answer those questions in, well, the, in the show? It's a really interesting question because there's things, I mean, that we aren't up to yet. Yeah. So we don't know. And that actually is one, is one guess, of them. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to sitting down with Brian and with Michael and actually having the, you know, spending a few days just going, okay, how are we going to do this? Because that's going to come up fairly soon. Mm. Um, and there are there are ways to do it, but I'm really looking forward to figuring out how we do it. There are characters. I, I, I find it so funny on Twitter because people keep asking me about, you know, we're really worried about the adaptation of American Gods because we don't see... We've looked at IMDb and this character is not cast. <laughs> and I'm going... This character isn't in it yet. <laughs> he, he hasn't met her yet. He yeah. hasn't met him yet. They're, that's, they're still... They're in our future. Not mm-hmm. everybody comes on in the first season. Well, that's... I mean, it's it's kind of a road book. A road, it, it road really movie is book. A road so, book. you know, yeah. And there are, there are several road trips that are going to get made. Um, and, and made with this amazing cast yeah. as well. I'm, I'm... And I have this weird kind of national pride in the fact that, you know, the lead two characters in American Gods are, are both Brits. <laughs> um, you're working on a, a sequel, book-wise. I am, right? but I'm being really... Um, I'm doing it the Neil way, which is I... Um, and some of it is just weird personal reasons, because really it would make an awful lot of sense for me to be really working right now properly on American Gods too. And instead, I'm actually off writing Neverwhere too. Um, <laughs> also which, good. Which also, also good. good, but nobody's waiting for, and it isn't a giant TV series and stuff. But it's just that a lot of the stuff that I've been doing recently, um, especially the refugee work mm-hmm. and becoming a UN goodwill ambassador for refugees and seeing what's going on with refugees up close, and just going, you know, I when I built Neverwhere. Mm. 25 years ago, I, I built it with the idea of it being being able to talk about the dispossessed, being able to talk about the people who fell through the cracks, being able to talk about all of that kind of stuff. Mm. And now it just feels like I need to talk about that stuff more than ever. And yeah. I have a machine here that exists. So I'm going to write this book and get it out of my head mm. so that I can write whatever the next one is. Yeah. Um, it seems... Entirely, entirely reasonable, entirely understandable. Having, having said that, uh, Brian and Michael are the only two human beings on Earth who know stuff about American Gods too. Right. And they had to know stuff because there are lines of offhanded dialogue in American Gods 1, in American Gods, that are built... Uh, that that I wrote to mean different things and to echo and to make people go, oh my god, he knew what he was doing. When I got to episode uh, to to the second book, um, which then I promptly never got around to writing. <laughs> so there are there are. I had to say to them, okay, this is the overall plot. This is where it's going. Mm-hmm. This is going to become important. This character who is very minor is going to become very important, and this thing. That, that character says is so I need you know you can't yeah. cut that out yeah. just because it doesn't look important you can't lose that line of dialogue just because it looks like it's a little grace note yeah just leave it for me because 
we're going to need that in season five. <laughs> it's good that you're thinking ahead, though. That's really good. Well, listen, Neil Gaiman, thank you very, very much. Oh, thank you. So that was Neil Gaiman. And that's segue seamlessly into this week's movies, which is dominated, of course, this week by Guardians of the Galaxy Fall.2. I think that's the name of the film. So they're back. The Guardians are back. They certainly are. Little, little hairy man, tree bloke, all of them. Yeah. Tell us about this. They are back. This is indeed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Oh, Volume 2. Volume 2. Volume 2. That was Volume 2. Like, it's like, well, yes, it is, technically, isn't it? Um, and this reunites us with the with the crack team of Interstellar Commandos uh, while they are on a mission to... What? Interstellar Commandos? I'm calling them Interstellar Commandos. They have guns. They're Interstellar. It's fine. Um, I guess they are a bit like the A-Team. Yeah. They're, they're, they're mercenaries. Like a, yeah. Guns for hire. Yeah, Okay. Guardians for hire. Um, they are on a mission to protect some light bulbs from aliens at the beginning of the film. Uh, that's not a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, and it kind of spirals out of control from there. This is an interesting one because um, it's very much about the characters, this film. this is These are fantastic characters. In many ways, and don't attack me, uh, the MCU's best characters in that they are the most fun to be around they're a wonderful dynamic between them they've got great great uh, chemistry between them uh, and this for me is a fantastic film about spending time with these awesome characters uh, the plot itself is slightly less grand galaxy spanning and Infinity Stone acquiring than Guardians of the Galaxy 1 uh, obviously this stars Kurt Russell as Ego the living planet who uh, <laughs> who turns up to tell Peter Quill that he is in fact his dad and would he like to come home with him and literally play catch We've got Michael Rooker returning as Yondu, head of the Ravagers. We have a subplot there. Uh, but this is, uh, this is uh, Star-Lord's sort of journey and his sort of bonding with Russell. But as I say, this is more... I mean, what did you think? I found this was very much a film about... You know, it was very funny. There were mm. some beautiful sequences in it. The one at the beginning, the musical kind of montage where they're fending off this sort of tentacled space alien. Mm. Um, uh, and it's sort of a, a Baby Groot's POV sequence where the action kind of happened sort of faded out in the background uh, that's yeah. marvellous that was actually my favourite sequence in the film I don't, yeah I don't want to spoil too much uh, we will be having a spoiler special uh, on this movie with director James Gunn I spoke to him this week and uh, asked him a lot about the developments in the movie and there are many developments in the movie uh, and that will be out on May 8th Yeah, May 8th after the movie opens in the States as is of course our spoiler special tradition uh, so do check that out we'll be talking about the movie in greater depth there it's, it's, it's high points and it's low points and it's flaws because uh, it is flawed because uh, I, I can't, I can't really talk about it too much. I don't want to talk about it too no. much. But uh, I think you know, every time I, I sit down, because I'm a spreadsheet kind of guy, and write down a list of my favorite MCU movies, Guardians invariably comes to the top. It's uh, it, the first movie I absolutely adore. I think it's great. It is flawed as well. The bad guy is still nothing to write home about in the original Guardians, and um, but it's such fun. And the characters, as you say, are such fun to be around. And it has a sense of swagger and a confidence uh, that sets it apart, I think, from the other MCU films. Uh, and for the first hour or so, I've seen this movie twice now for Sport Special Purposes. Yeah. Um, for the first hour or so, this is a wonderful continuation of that. It is about these five characters. Uh, Star-Lord, of course, played by Chris Pratt. Uh, Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana. Uh, Drax, played by Dave Bautista. Uh, Baby Groot, voiced by Finn Diesel. Uh, and uh, Rocket, voiced by Bradley Cooper. Uh, and they're bickering and bantering and just they're squabbling with each other because they are, to borrow a theme from Fast 8, 
family, mm-hmm. not just friends. And uh, there is such fun to be around. The opening sequence, I don't want to say too much about it, James has hinted a little bit, is just bottled joy. Yeah. It is it guaranteed to put a smile on your face. And for the first hour or so, I was absolutely, totally, 100% with the movie. And then, it, uh, you know, to quote myself from the, the review, the Empire Review, uh, <laughs> It remembers that it has to have A, a plot, and B, a bad guy. And it it doesn't go off the rails at that point, but it does begin to lose momentum yeah. a little bit. Uh, we won't say anything about the plot. We won't say anything about the nature of the bad guy. Um, I enjoyed the bad guy, and I think the bad guy is, uh, is one of the better Marvel villains, uh, thematically and um, uh, character-wise. We'll talk about that in the spoiler special. Indeed. Uh, I think The Last Hour is has got a lot of joy, a lot of real fun in it as well, because every time that there's a, a CG sequence where something is fighting something and both things are made of, of, of pixels and they're against a background entirely made of pixels, James Gunn has the wherewithal to cut to Star-Lord quipping it out with Yondu or you know Drax and this great new character Mantis played by Palm Clementiev mm-hmm. uh, having this really lovely relationship or you know Baby Groot being awesome. Uh, and it's still a lot of fun. I don't think it's quite as fresh or as fun as the first movie. I think there are a couple of uh, sequences that are very interesting and potentially very flawed. We'll talk about those in the spoiler special as well, Uh, which is why I gave this, and we gave it, I think we're all pretty much on the same page with this one, four stars. Yeah, it's great. And and the humour, I think, really comes through. I mean, it did in the the first film as well, but in particular, Dave Bautista, who is just nails Mm. the Drax persona and his timing, and that's absolutely impeccable. Also, what they did with Baby Groot, where he is... Uh, a demonstrably different personality, a different character to Big Groot, uh, and there's a whole sort of wealth of comedy they managed to mine out of him as well. Really, is very very good. It's nice to see that Karen Gillan gets more to do as Nebula. That's mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. they do some fun stuff with her character as well. Uh, and Michael Rooker coming back again was a, a shrewd move. He's really entertaining as well. Mm. Um, yeah, like you say, really good fun, great characters. Um, plotting wise, it's plot is not a strong point. But mm. I don't think that detracts from the enjoyment. So it's a more intimate film than the first one, mm. which was galaxy spanning. And uh, second time around, I think some of the flaws disappeared a little bit for me. There's still a couple of sequences I have issues with, um, but uh, it's it's a very enjoyable addition. It's not better than the first movie. I think that's, that's no. That's fair to say. Uh, but there's a lot to like here. If you like that sort of thing, if you didn't like the first Guardians, steer clear of this one. <laughs> uh, but if you do go see this one. As ever, it's a Marvel movie. Stick around in your seats uh, because there's not one post credit sting. There's not two post credit stings. Or three. Or, or four. four. <laughs> What's that thing Helen always says? Neither two nor three is the number, whatever it is. Well, um, it's five. It's five. It's five. The exact number of Avatar films is mirrored in post credit stings uh, at the end of Guardians. So check it, out, check it out for that. Four stars in for Guardians of the Galaxy Fall.2. Uh, and next up, Phil. Yeah. Tell me about Lady Macbeth. Lady Macbeth. Well, you've used the word joy a lot, um, and there is very little joy in this movie, <laughs> um, but that's not to detract from it in any way, because it's a really powerful piece of work. Despite the title, uh, people probably know by now that it doesn't have anything, any direct link at all with the famous Cordorian moor botherer um, of Shakespeare. <laughs> um, it's actually based on a, uh, a novel by a Russian man, Nikolai Leshkov, from 1865, called The Lady Macbeth of the Mutensk District. And uh, it's the story of, it's transposed to Northumberland. Um, 1865 remains the year of the setting. Um, and it's, so Florence P 
you as a as a young woman um sort of barely out of her teens who's thrown into in one of the worst sort of buy one get one free offers of all time from her point of view an arranged marriage with a colliery owner um, played by Paul Hilton craggy older and uncaring and uh basically kind of confined to a life of neglect and uh, um, and misery in this drafty Northumberland castle home um, where there's no joy but she isn't taking any of this lying down mm. um, Florence Pugh is someone that you may have spotted in Carol Morley's uh, film The Falling playing opposite Maisie Williams um, where she showed um, some of her talents in that and she's really mesmerising in this film um, we featured her in the magazine as our kind of introducing talent last month um, and she is a real breakout turn in this she's, she absolutely holds the screen it's quite an austere film in a lot of ways um, the director will be overshadowed because all the props will go to, to, to Pew but William Aldroyd this is his his feature debut and our review likens it to Andrea Arnold's Wuthering Heights it's a similar kind of thing it's quite a modern sensibility to a classic period setting um, and, and, and there's all kinds of difficult dark moments and turns and twists in this film it's it's not a plotty mm. film mm. and yet it takes you in weird directions um, and I don't want to say too much more about it uh, it's a really powerful film it isn't joyful in the way Guardians is but as a piece of sort of uh, kind of non- Classical, surprising period drama um, with a real breakout turn. It's it's well worth a watch. We've given it four stars, and um, as I say, Florence Pugh is really she's only nineteen years old, um, but she's really uh, really talented and, and puts in a a a um, super powerful kind of performance in this one. So four stars and a very big recommendation for Lady Macbeth. Super powerful. Super powerful. Super powerful. That was going reasonably articulately. That's not a word either. <laughs> and then suddenly super maybe. powerful happened. Yeah. I was racking my mind for better adjectives. Is she, is, I couldn't think yeah. of one. But she's not a superhero, right? Is she is not. She's not revealed to be a superhero, no. Um, it's not part of She the, can't get out of her corset. William Shakespeare extended universe is not part of that. It's nothing to do with any of that, no. It's. It's. I mean, I was watching it racking my mind for, for where the original, how the original book might have related to Shakespeare because you could say that this character is she does exhibit Lady Macbeth like traits, you know, that character that's actually quite... So a, she's fun and carefree She's and- a fun-loving <laughs> gangster from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah. She's 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 a, a calculating woman but not in the same way Lady Macbeth is in the Shakespearean iteration she's uh, someone that is in a very very you know on the check on the on the chessboard she's kind of in a position of, of being in check all the time and she's trying to work her way around work out the angles um, and that's where the, the film's kind of surprises um, and kind of handbrake turns come mm. um, and she's a very controlling very controlled but also quite passionate character and a very modern woman in a as I say in a in a kind of anachronistic context in some ways um, but it's a very impressive film. Fantastic. Four stars then for Lady Macbeth. If Guardians of the Galaxy Fall.2 does not uh, float your boat, then go and see that. Uh, Super awesome. Also out this week we have The Promise, which is a an epic about the last days of the Ottoman Empire. It's a love triangle between uh, Oscar Isaac, Christian Bale and Charlotte Le Bon, uh, directed by Terry George. Uh, heavy going stuff, again, but uh, we liked it enough to give it three stars which as we always say in the podcast is a recommendation uh, and out for one day only this weekend uh, if you haven't seen Mad Max Fury Road George Miller's 
action, like I said, masterpiece, uh, and you want to check it out, you got a chance to do so this Sunday. But there's a twist. It's in black and white. The black and chrome version of Fury Road is being released for one day only in cinemas across the country this this weekend. I uh, have seen the black and white version, and it's a very interesting take on the uh, on the original film, uh, which is obviously full of color and visually stunning. And uh, this really this really makes it feel more like the silent movie that I think Miller would have made it. Had and he, he said this is for to his mind the definitive version of the film because didn't he uh, want to do it in black and white originally? No. He didn't. No, not so I really. Just made that up. No, yes and no. But he, um, he, I think he's always wanted to make the Mad Max films since Mad Max Two. Uh, he saw a version of Mad Max Two when it was being scored by Brian May. He saw a black and white version on a monitor, and he thought it, it looked amazing. And he want, he, if he could, yeah, if he had his druthers, if he could get away with it and release a hundred and fifty million dollar movie uh, in black and white, <laughs> then I think he would do it. But you know, he was always planning to make it in color. But then. They, they Warner Brothers said hey why don't you make it a black and white and he went oh yeah very nice I will thank you very much so if you don't already have it on Blu-ray and yeah. don't have access to the colour control on your television <laughs> go to the cinema I don't think they did I don't think it was quite <laughs> should we just turn down the knobs in this one I think they've they've treated the image with as much care as they did with the last one just barely a frame of Fury Road that is manipulated in some way um, so it's very intriguing go out and see it on the big screen because we gave Fury Road five stars last time around I'd be very intrigued to see whether people feel that the black and white version is five stars as well feels like a different film at times and that's it for this week's Emperor podcast in association with mustard.co.uk Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by the creators and stars of Mindhorn, Julian Barrett and Simon Farnaby. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Until then, it is goodbye from James. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to vote in the 100 Greatest Movies of All Time poll on empireonline.com. And you should too. Thanks a lot. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>